Is that what I'm saying? Rough Trade Radio. 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 How's that? Really pleased today to have Gavin Bryars here talking about, um, well, everything I suppose. But I guess Jesus Blood they're doing uh, a, a sh- uh, doing the performance of that. I think at Cafe Otto. Cafe Otto, yeah. Yeah, a small small scale performance, yeah. Yeah, but also a bigger one as well. Is that right? The... I did a bigger one on uh, last Friday in BBC National Orchestra of Wales. Did a full orchestra one. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do other big ones. I got I do a big one in Knoxville. Tennessee, end of March, in yeah. the Big Ears Festival, and I did a big one with the Adelaide Symphony. They vary in, sc- in size and scale. Yeah, I went to one that you did at the South Bank. This must have been years ago. It's when the, the you know, extended version came out with Tom Waits on it. 93. Yeah, and I went to that. Yeah. It drove my wife mad. <laughs> I loved it, and she won't let me play the record at home anymore because um, she said, oh, I can't have that one again. No. It's, uh, it just polarised people, you know, uh, when the album came out in 93, I remember it was on Classic FM and Paul Gambaccini had this kind of top of the charts programme on a Saturday morning and he did it track by track. He, said, yeah. he told me that he'd had more contact about that album than any he'd ever heard, he'd ever played and it was really polarised, 50% really hated it, 50% yeah. really loved it and there was no middle way at all. Yeah, I loved it. Because <laughs> it's quite interesting. So it was quite a long time after the original version came out. Then that this new version came out. Who was who drove that? Was it Universal or was no? It, it was Philip Glass. Oh, was Philip, right? Philip started this new label, Point. Point. Yeah. Um, about that time, early nineties, yeah. and all, Universal came in later. It was Philips were the people who were um, supporting it. Yeah. And then later, Universal took over the whole world. So that that changed. But <laughs> yeah. uh, that time, Philip was just uh, wanting to put out albums and. Um, he knew the original Brian Eno production from 1975, and he wanted to put that on one of the first albums he was doing on Point. Yeah. And he was, um, I remember he was uh, a bit baffled that I, I said I'd make it fill the whole album because he thought it was a 25-minute piece. It's yeah. like one side of vinyl. Yeah. And I explained it was a side of vinyl because that's the, the limit without doing a side break. Yeah. And that's all about 24, 25 minutes. And, um, and he was worried because if he... Uh, triple the length of something, he would simply repeat it every bar three times, you see, and it just becomes really boring. But what I did, I, I made the first 24, 25 minutes exactly the same structure as the original. So if anyone was a real purist, they could just fade out at the end of track one. Yeah. You know? And then it goes on through a lot of other more complicated orchestrations. Then eventually uh, Tom Waits uh, joins in as well. Yeah. Did you ever get to meet Tom Waits? Oh, I was with him. I went with him. I recorded it with him. Yeah, wow. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'd met before that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we were in touch in the late 80s. Well, first he got in touch because he was performing in London. It must have been 86, 87, something like that. Was that the Dominion Theatre? Uh, either there or maybe it was in Hammersmith. I'm not quite sure where it was. I think it was the Dominion. Probably. I, I went to two of those shows. I, I, anyway, I, I, I didn't go, but uh, Tom got in touch um, because he'd lost his original vinyl of Jesus' Blood. And he wanted, <laughs> if, if, I, if I had a copy, yeah. and as it happened, that there was a pristine copy in my manager's office, so yeah. I let him have it, and he let me have two tickets, and I couldn't go. So 
I think people would have been really annoyed with two blank seats in there. Um, <laughs> but I knew it, it was his favourite album, and that's yeah. really high praise. Yeah. You know? And so that's why eventually uh, I started talking to him about another project, uh, about actually appearing in an opera of mine, and he was interested in that. Uh, and then this Jesus Blood came up, and so he agreed to do that. Fantastic. Yeah. For what it's worth, it's one of my favourite records as well. Although, singing the Titanic, I prefer that side to Jesus Blood, but I kind of I waver between the two of them. But Titanic, I love that as well. Yeah. And I've got about, I've got a, I think I've got every version that's ever been on that, and I love that as well. Um, so should we start at the beginning then? Yeah. Um, so you worked with um, Derek Bailey and Tony Oxley, is yeah, that we, doing playing jazz. We had a trio. Then, yeah. Um, Initially, it was sort of fairly straight, but fairly complicated harmonic jazz, like post Bill Evans. Uh, and then it moved into sort of freer areas and eventually became really free improvisation. And it was probably, they would say, it has its legendary status because it was probably the first um, British group doing free improvisation. But we were not known, or we know we were recorded because we were in the north, we were not in London. Yeah. We were working in Sheffield, essentially. So we, we, it was all rumour. We did play a couple of times in London. People, people heard us. Then it broke up. And I stopped playing in '66, um, and um, but that that was where I started. And later, we, I think, for Tony's 60th birthday, I was persuaded to rejoin this yeah. trio. We did these subsequent recordings, and they were issued on John and Zorn's label. Oh right, I didn't know. I didn't realise that. We did oh. some. We did. We got together for one concert in in Germany, uh, where Tony was living. They had a weekend of his work for uh, West German Radio. And uh, so they reformed this trio, and I hadn't played with them. I hadn't seen Tony for 32 years, and I hadn't played that kind of stuff for 32 years. Yeah. And and the, uh, all, we just got together. We were on a, a big jazz venue in Cologne, live. It was being recorded for radio and for CD, and there was no rehearsal. There's a one-minute sound check to make sure we could hear each other and so on. <laughs> and then we played for about 50 minutes, right. essentially three pieces. Yeah. And it was fine. And um, it's like sort of riding a bike. You don't forget. You just get a bit rusty. That's yeah. all. <laughs> and then we, 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 someone put us in a studio for a week. And we got a lot of just played every day for about six hours. And some of those uh, tracks were uh, released on a double CD on, uh, on John Zorn's label. Is that it? Yeah, fantastic. So you did stuff with Charlie Hayden as well. Yeah, Charlie, I did a piece for Charlie with strings for the Cameron Jazz Festival in 87. And Charlie and I would stay good friends, and I used to see him quite a lot. And uh, we played together, and um, he did this piece of mine, which was also recorded for Point, though it was actually on Philips Classics. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I knew Charlie, and a lot of that kind of people. I worked with Bill Frizzell and uh, uh, others like that, uh, you know, the friends and people I work with. Yeah. Fantastic. Carla Blay? Carla, yeah. yeah. Carla's an old friend. I, I, I met her in the late 70s, but she, when I was teaching in Leicester, I stopped teaching about 25 years ago, but when I was teaching, uh, we ran this band called the Leicester Blay Band, and she gave me uh, a complete set of parts for the, that, the kind of late 70s group she had with people like Roswell Rudd and uh, Gary Valenti, those kind of people. Yeah. And um, so we had this band which played her work. And then when the Camden Jazz Festival, she was playing with the uh, sextet, the one with Hiram Bullock, the electric group. And then we played the first half with her. And so, um, you know, we've been we get in touch all the time. I yeah. mean, uh, when I get a new album, I'll send it to her and she yeah. sends me hers. And we're actually on the same um, bill in, at Big Ears Festival in Tennessee in the uh, end of March. So oh, we're, we're together again, yeah. Yeah, because that... Um 
album she did, Ballad of the Fallen, on yeah. ECM. That's one with Charlie, yeah, 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 exactly. That's one of my all-time favourites. Wonderful, well. wonderful, oh. wonderful. She's a great pianist as well, yeah. I mean, and her arrangements are just so good. Yeah. And her original compositions are, I mean, every every album will have at least one masterpiece. I mean, the others are not always not fantastic, but there's always at least one yeah, masterpiece. Yes. That's incredible. Yeah, no, it is. And so then after, so I didn't realise actually you'd done so much jazz, but then after um, that, the Portsmouth Symphonia. That's when I was teaching in art school, yeah. Yeah. And so um, Simon Fisher-Turner, do you still keep in touch with him or...? Not, no, I mean, I, I, every, the one person who I'm in touch with is, is Robin Mortimer. He was the guy who really looked after the orchestra and he's kept, kept it sold together. So it's you and Eno and... Um, Eno joined yeah. later. He, he joined because he, he wasn't at Portsmouth. He was actually studying uh, painting at Winchester. Uh, and he joined... We hadn't been, uh, been together. We, I mean, we played essentially for, in the college the first time. It was yeah. just as a kind of one-off. Then yeah. he joined us probably for the second or third concert. And then, of course, because he was... In the record industry, he was enabled to be able to put out our first album. Yeah, you know, he was uh, that was our inroad into those yeah. recordings. So it was yeah. an, influ in, an influential band then, if you think of you know you, Brian, Simon. I mean, it's probably some others as well. Oh, Nyman played. Uh, oh, of course, yes, Michael yeah, Nyman. Yeah, course, oh, a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of other kind of artists played. There was uh, a lot of quite well-known painters. Jeffrey yeah. um, um, uh, Steele, Dave Saunders. Um, Quite a lot of people from the fine art world played. Yeah, um, yeah, it was an interesting game. And none of them available. They're, they're, there's two albums, I think, wasn't there? Three, three. Uh, right? uh, there were two of the classics. Yeah. Uh, the second one was live at the Albert Hall. Uh, the third one was a switched-on rock classics because we, <laughs> there was a kind of, a, I think it was the London Symphony Orchestra did a, an album of rock classics, and we thought it was the worst orchestra <laughs> in the world. And we thought there couldn't be one worse than us, so yeah, exactly. we do our own. So we, we have some. Beach Boys and Beatles things yeah. and so on. But none of them are available, I don't think, are they? I don't think they've... No. Uh, I mean, you, you can find them, but yeah, you pay a fortune yeah. on eBay. But yeah. um, there's always been talk about reissuing them, but uh, it's never really happened. There's also been talk about reforming the orchestra, but we're all kind of pensioners now, so it, it's a bit pointless. <laughs> it's, we don't yeah. get like all these aging rock and rollers going around fathering kids <laughs> when they're 95, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You're not like that then. <laughs> uh, I father kids, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, but not <laughs> <laughs> same, quite the same thing. Yeah. So that sort of leads me on then um, to Eno and the connection with him and the Obscure label. Yeah. So that's quite interesting. So I think from what I can see, there's only Titanic and Jesus that's available in those, the, you know, um, Irma and... The machine pieces. You yes, know. exactly. Not available anymore. Well, well never except, been on CD either. Except I got... Uh, it turned out, I found out uh, not long ago that I actually have the rights on my own recordings. Oh, so I've reissued Titanic and, Je uh, Titanic and Jesus Blood on, on a CD, yes. on yeah. my own label. Yeah. I've also issued uh, Ensemble Pieces, which has me and Christopher Hobbs uh, on it. Uh, that's also on my label. Yeah. Uh, and I, I took one of the tracks from Machine Music, yeah. which is a piece for uh, called The Squirrel and the Rickety Rackety Bridge for... People playing two guitars at once, and there's Derek Bailey plays a pair of guitars. Yeah, Eno plays a pair of guitars. I do, and so does Fred Frith. It's <laughs> yeah, quite a nice band. Yeah. yeah, amazing band. All yeah. those names, cracky. I think uh, uh, Brian isn't a very good guitarist, so he played half speed all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, right, with your first record, then let's get on to your first CD that you've chosen this morning. Well, whatever Which you like, I, I, I pick five as you yep, as I was suggesting, exactly, yep. and they were uh, all for. Different reasons. Uh, I mean, in some cases, uh, there are uh, the uh, albums where I don't necessarily know the track, but there's something about them that is of, of some importance to me. Yeah. 
Um, I can take them in any order. Some are yeah. so-called contemporary classical, if you yeah. like. Uh, there's um, uh, piano music of Christian Wolff. Now, you have to tell me about him. I, I know quite a bit about music, but I do not know Christian Wolff. Christian Wolff Wolf so. was one of the, the youngest of the people around, composed around John Cage. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Christian, uh, one with Morton Feldman and Earl Brown from about 1950. Christian, uh, but he was a, uh, he taught classics at Harvard, uh, Latin and, and Greek, hmm. but a very interesting composer. He became quite politically involved, uh, especially with uh, Cornelius Cardew in the late 70s. Uh, but a really interesting composer. He, he worked a lot with Merce Cunningham. Mm -hmm. um, Who you worked with uh, well, I worked yeah. with as well. And uh, I knew him also through Cage because I worked yes, with Cage. Exactly. Uh, and Christian is a very subtle, kind of understated composer. He did lots of very interesting pieces where they had just simple um, text instructions, like um, for making sounds with stones. He just yeah. you give a little description. There's no musical notation. You had to use your invention. So he came out of that sort of Lamont Young uh, kind of post-Cage, post-Fluxus kind of world yeah. of sort of semi-art events, semi-happenings, um, but a very subtle mind and, and a really wonderful person. So I didn't know, I knew that, uh, his piano works to be recorded, but I saw this, and it's yeah. like a very large collection of them. It seems to be done by uh, Huddersfield University, where there was contemporary music festival. So yeah. they seem to have funded this by maybe having some performances. Yeah. I just saw that, and that stood out. I just yeah. hadn't, I didn't know it existed. Yeah, because it's fantastic. You've worked with a veritable who's who of the kind of the experimental avant-garde, you know, Cage, Cunningham, Robert Wilson, you know, like... Some of them are who, who was who. Some of them have gone by now. But, uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I suppose. And they could say the same with me, I suppose, couldn't they? Exactly. <laughs> we're, we're, yes. all, we're all living legends. <laughs> yeah, but it's true, though. Yeah, I know. Come on. Yeah, it's true. Oh, that's fantastic. And when you start believing that, you believe in your own publicity. It's, it's, it's <laughs> the end. It's the end. No, don't do it. Yes. No, I know. But it, is, it must be amazing to work with such great people. Yeah, yeah it is. Years, and, uh, and also, uh, um, I always love the uh, thing of working with people because one of the dangers of being a composer is you scan all your stuff on your own, you send it out, and someone plays it. Whereas if you're working with somebody else, you, you, their ideas are feeding into yours. So yeah. it, you have to think sideways a little bit. Yeah. And also, I do like to perform my own stuff so that uh, I don't hide behind somebody else's performer. People can see the whites of my eyes and see, oh, that's a clown who wrote this stuff, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and fine. Yeah. So it's, it's important to get out there. Yeah. I guess if you're working with people, I suppose you have to put aside your sort of egos a bit, yeah. don't you? because it must, otherwise it you can clash. But I suppose... Out of those clashes, interesting things can come, but you have to sort of accept, you know, you know compromise in some ways, don't you? So. Absolutely. And, and working with Robert Wilson was a case in point. We, my first opera was with him in, um, in Lyon um, and Paris in the early 80s, and uh, Bob is a strong character, and so am I, and there were, yeah. there were some serious clashes. We almost yeah. came to blow at the dress rehearsal. Uh, <laughs> but um, we, we got on, we respect each other, we're still friends, yeah. and we worked together for about five years in the early yeah. 80s. Because he did some amazing things. I think he did a... Philip, one of those Philip Glass operas he did, didn't he? The Iron Sound on the Beach. That's right, I saw that one. at the yeah. ENO. I saw them play that there. Was, I don't know if he did that version, but I saw them do that there. It was fantastic, yeah. OK, so I've learned something today anyway. Okay. Christian Wolf, I'm going to definitely check him out. So there's some group of um, nocturnes on disc three, which I, I've never heard of them, and these are the first recordings, so one of those would be something you could yeah. play if you want. OK, fantastic.
Okay, next up then, what? Well, not in any particular... Desmond Decker, in fact, the reason for that is that when I recorded with Brian Eno in Obscure, we recorded uh, in Island Studios, uh, Basing Studios, which was belonged to Island Records, Mm -hmm. and the culture of that studio was essentially reggae. And there was this world of reggae around me, and I was living in North Kensington, which was a lot of reggae in the streets, and and we had, of course, the the early days of the the Nottingham Carnival. That was all around me, and I remember the sound engineer who was working uh, on, who did Jesus Blood and the others, Rhett Davis, he'd done a lot of um, serious reggae, because that's one of Ireland's records' big standbys. Um, and he explained some of the techniques that he used, which I, I really loved. And I remember Desmond Decker very much, and so I saw this one. I thought, well, I'd lo- love half a track from that. But one of the things that Rhett told me was that what they would do, they were, we were using 24-track analog machines in those days. He would, they, they would record every track. So you had a completely swamp of music. But what you do, you'd mute every track. Yeah. And you just have the vocal line, and then you just bring up like a bass guitar or something. And so it's really sparse, but yeah. he had this whole kind of orchestra under his faders. Yeah. And I just thought it was a great technique. And uh, um, that kind of it meant you could ultimately you could just do several different mixes, do something which was really strange. Yeah. Uh, and so I just liked the idea of reggae. And that's when I saw this, I thought that reflect, reminds me of those Island Studio yeah. days. And All Saints Road. You must All Saints Road, when exactly. It's, it's changed a lot since then. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I, I lived uh, on Lavrock Grove, just yeah. where um, uh, where uh, um, Goldbond Road comes in. Oh, yes, I know, yeah. Uh, where yeah. Rough Trade was. Yes, yeah. exactly. We still are. We've still got a shop on Talbot know, Road just around there, yeah. Uh, that was... Uh, Goldman Road was was great. I love that. That's where I was, you know. Yeah. I, and I'd shop down the market for fish and vegetables regularly, you know. That's and I quite like the Goldman Road end because there was a very nice bakery I used to use. This is before it became rather more yeah. upmarket. With but Goldman Road is still pretty funky down there. Yeah. It's got some really nice things down there. Well, there was a lot of Portuguese and yes. and, and Spaniards, a lot of ex Civil War people. Uh, there was all kind of centres, even from the mid seventies. People kind of fled Franco and. That's and Salazar and all that, yeah. and there was a re- there's always that kind of culture. You have really nice cake shops and coffee. The know. Lisboa, I think you're talking about, yeah. which yeah. every Saturday morning we used to go uh, there, and it's yeah. fantastic. And Garcia's, the Spanish deli, that must have been there then. Uh, it? No, that that, that came well. It came, that came just I I left there in, in the sort of mid to late eighties. Yeah, it was it was starting. It, yeah. it was coming up, but it, it, it's moved a long way since. Yeah, it's looking like almost thirty years ago. Yeah. Time. I know. Yeah, I mean, it's a great area. So, yeah, Basing Street. So, any particular track on um, there then? Uh, well, I probably, uh, I think probably the, the Israelites is the best known one. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I guess, uh, that's the one I know. So, uh, I'm sure it's on here. Yeah, it's Bound to be. It's Bound to be. Yeah. It's, a, it's a kind of compilation. Yes, it's its first track on disc yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, but, the, I mean, any of the others I'd, lo- I'd love to hear, but that would be the one I would choose to play. Yeah. Yeah. Get up in the morning, sleeping for bread, sir, so that every mouth can be fed. Rob chose is a go. I don't want to end up like Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, me 
Okay, um, now which one? We're going to Max Richter, if you like. Yeah. Uh, it's Max Richter uh, recomposes Vivaldi the Four Seasons. Yeah. I mean, I, I met Max a few times when he first started with the uh, this uh, piano circus, yeah. uh, which was the Scanner Six Piano Group, and um, I sort of lost track of him. Then, my, in fact, my uh, a sound engineer who works with me a lot started doing a lot of work with him. Mm. And I, I quite like the idea of what Max was doing. Yeah. I don't know all of it, but one of the things with this was that I did a, a recomposition of the Four Seasons myself for mm-hmm. a ballet uh, yeah. in the Sao Paulo Ballet Company, yeah. dance company, in which I redid the Four Seasons, uh, well, extracts from them into longer pieces for uh, for a string quintet. But I didn't use any uh, violins. It was viol- two violas, two cellos, and double bass. Mm-hmm. It's a very dark recomposition of the Four Seasons. And when I saw that, He'd done the Four Seasons. I thought, yeah. I'd be curious to see yes. what he's done. And yeah. I'm, I'm no doubt it's not as good as mine. <laughs> Arrogant swine. But uh, you've got to say that. Yes. I mean, uh, it's like being a sort of a Premier League striker. You've got to think you're the best. Yes. Whether you, yeah. you're completely rubbish. You know? Exactly, yeah. We'll get on to sport in a minute. All okay? right, okay. Sure, sure. So that's the, that's the, that was the, the Max Richter yes. was, was the one there, there. And it could be any of those. I Probably, I, I do take one of the... Probably the second track of Winter, which is track, will be track 12. Okay. Uh, that's because that's the sort of darker stuff.
So do you know, have you listened to any of uh, Max's other things then? Do you know uh, Blue Notebooks? No, I, I mean, I saw those there, but I thought, yeah. well, I, I, I won't get two uh, albums of, of Max's, but uh, uh, I, I mean, I'm interested in finding out more about his work because it's something which I sort of knew of, but I, te I tend not to listen to a lot of mm. other people's stuff. I, I mean, I'm just generally too busy, yeah. uh, so I'm getting on with my own, but in a situation like this where you're sort of confronted with something, you think, yeah. oh, well, gosh, oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't know that Max had done that. Or similarly, if I'm playing like in a festival somewhere in Australia or, you know, Italy or something, and somebody gives me their albums. Yeah. It's something you encounter something which you wouldn't otherwise encounter at all. And it's always interesting. I mean, yeah. I do have one or two that are still in their plastic. I've got to admit that. But <laughs> yes. we've all yeah, done that. Too. But in general, yeah. I, I try to yeah. at least listen to a track. I usually do it on the way home. Yeah. So I, at least you get it. In back. the car? No, in the plane. In the, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think he's really interesting, Max Richards. Yeah. I mean, Blue Notebooks is an amazing album. He kind of mixes modern classical with... Um, kind of electronics and stuff. And I think it's, at the moment there's this whole movement of, you know, Erased Tapes. Do you know that label? No. You should check out Erased Tapes. Okay. This, this, this modern composition is so much harking back to stuff that you did with um, Titanic particularly, I think. And it's and Max did an album called Sleep, which was, la I mean, the year before last was one of our albums of the year. And in fact, it was probably our best-selling album of that year. And I think it's a kind well, of... The ones played through the night on the radio. Yes, exactly, I, heard, yeah. I heard extracts of that. Yeah. 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 Oh, just, it's lovely. Yeah, it's a fantastic Absolutely album. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's a bit of a... I think it's... Um, you know, these days there's so much information out there, so much going on. And I think it's just like, the, you know, to calm people down. People are always on their phones yeah. or computers, and it's just to calm people down. So I think it's quite interesting, this whole modern composition... You know, coming back around. Interesting um, with that thing about uh, you know, uh, obsessive techniques and uh, technical stuff. My um, third daughter, she's actually studying piano at the Moscow Conservatory, but uh, and she's completely all the time on the phone, iPad, everything. Yeah, yeah. But she's going traveling back to Moscow on on Saturday, uh, but she's going for a ten day silence retreat in some place about 500 miles outside Moscow. Yeah, no signal. No signal, no talking to anybody, nothing. Blimey. Complete silence. I, I mean, she's she non-stops, non-stop. God yeah. knows what it's going to be interesting. <laughs> anyway, so yes. it, it's good to do that kind of thing and just yeah. to get inside yourself and in, in this way find things which are, you know, have some sort of depth, some resonance. They're not kind of, yeah. it's not sort of trivial. It's not throwaway stuff. No, exactly. And Arvo Pett, you've never done anything with him, though. Yeah, yeah. Though. I've, 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 I've been friends with Arvo for 30 odd years. Have you? Yeah, I've played um, things of his. Um, yeah, we've known each other. Um, we see each other whenever I'm in Tallinn. I try and see him out. And I go to Estonia quite a lot. I was in once about oh, a few years ago. And my son was, because uh, my wife is Russian. And yes. my, uh, my, so my son uh, has only had Russian spoken to him by my wife. So yes. he's completely fluent. Yeah. And we were in Tallinn, and we went up to the Russian Orthodox Church just to have, have a look up there. And there, there was a kind of, I think it was a baptism going on. And there was Arvo and his wife were there. Yeah. And he came, came oh, I saw him giving a big hug. And he saw my, my son and started talking to him. And then we went around to a little side room, and it, my son came back with this little icon. And yeah. uh, Arvo bought this little Russian icon for him. My son is called Yuri, so this is Saint Yuri. Yeah. It's really sweet. And you know, they were chatting away, like, you know, Arvo was like, he's not, it was 80 odd now. And, uh, but I was chatting to my sort of that then five-year-old son. Yeah. My, my son's 17 now. So Arvo is a friend, and I've, I've done a lot of work oh, with him. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Because I think he's becoming, not that he's never not been popular, but I think, you know, we're starting to stock him again. We used to when um, Faratra and... Uh, Tabula Rasa. Exactly. Yes, exactly. When they 86, 87. That's yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The same sort of period. And yeah. So when they came out, we used to sell them all the time, and it kind of tailed off a bit. But I think he's coming back again on the... not. 
I mean, you can see this sort of direct line from, I think, you and sort of him and then Max Richter and all these people. There's this guy called Niels Fram. Do you know him? Who's no. on the race eights? You need to, I'll, maybe I'll send you a Love link. To. He's really interesting. Kind of in this, it's not straight down the line classical. It's a bit more with a twist. Right. You know what I mean? He's a really interesting guy. I no, think, I'd, I'd interesting it's always stuff. good to find out new things. It's, you know, otherwise you, you, things just make you reevaluate what you're doing. You think, oh, didn't you could do that or... I would never have dreamt of doing that in a million years. And it's yeah. just healthy to do that. Otherwise, you just get lo locked into yourself. And it's oh, not totally, good. Yeah. As, and as a retailer, we always, you know, it's always about looking forward. You know, you have to look back and say, ah, oh, Sink of the Titanic, you know, an amazing record, one of our essential albums to have. But you've got to be thinking, well, actually, Niels Fram is doing interesting things in the same sort of style and doing them now. And, yeah. you know, you have to look forward all the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I did some things with, with Touch, for example, uh, was, uh, when I, with uh, Philip Jack when yes, we did no, Titanic. Yeah. Yeah. And Philip and I work together quite a lot now, yeah. and um, and never, you know uh, Michael sent me albums from Touch, and I hear some yeah. of these Icelandic cellists and stuff like. It's yeah. great, you know. Yeah. I haven't heard from Mike for ages, actually. Yeah, I think he's, he seems to spend a lot of time in America these days, yeah. backwards and forwards. Yeah. Big cricket fan, as am I. I and football, and football. Yeah. So cricket. I'm Yorkshire. I'm Somerset. I just want to say Brian to Close. you, yeah, exactly. What a great man. I want to say at the end of the county season last yeah. year, Yorkshire rolled over and stopped Somerset winning the championship. I didn't the first like that at all. Time. I didn't like that. I thought that was wrong. Yeah, I, know. I mean, I think Somerset would. Have, well, it's just a shame that they just you know they lost all those wickets so quickly at the end. I was watching on teletext. I'm a big Somerset supporter. Yeah. My mum's a season ticket holder. Remember that? Mike, Mike is Worcester, I think, isn't he? I think he is. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're they flooded. Yeah, <laughs> beginning of the season, all the matches are cancelled. Yeah, a great ground though. Oh, lovely! It's a really great ground. So yeah, Yorkshire. Oh, anyway, they're not on my top of top no. of my list. Football team, Nottingham Forest. Oh right. I, I was QPR. I lived in London yeah. uh, for twenty Along years. Along with Michael Nyman, of course. And I took yeah. Michael Nyman. Uh, <laughs> yes. John Tilbury took me first. Yeah, because he's his dad had been in QPR since the forties. Yeah. John, when I came back from America in the late sixties, John took me to QPR. The first was away at Arsenal. Yeah. And we were in the old first division. I went straight down. Um, and then I moved to Ladbroke Grove, and Michael was a next door neighbour. So he started. We started <laughs> yeah. three of us were season ticket holders together. Yeah. And then when I, I moved out out to Leicestershire, uh, I didn't support Leicester because Leicester were a QPR's bogey team, and I couldn't possibly support yeah. them. So I supported Nottingham Forest, which is only a forty minute drive mm. away. So my son and I go regularly. We're in the Brian Clough stand, and yeah. uh, we're suffering. You know, we're having a terrible time. But terrible. You're still loyal. Yeah. No, exactly. I'm a Wolves fan. Oh, yeah. And uh, you know, I've in fact I went to see them play QPR. Just before Christmas. But you beat us. Yeah. And then, you were actually terrible. You beat us 2-0. It was, it was exactly. dreadful. It was, yeah. It was awful. But then the, the game, just, uh, was, what was it? New Year's Day, New, New Year's Eve. I was going to go and Wolves lost to a... Oh, I don't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, we saw, my son and I went to the um, Forest um, Wolves away game last year. And yeah. it's a lovely ground. Right. Yeah. And also, it was what was great, it was a way supporter. You had fantastic... Seats on the touchline, yeah. not behind the goals. Yeah. Really lovely. Yeah. I love Loftus Road as a ground. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there and I've bumped into Michael Nyman there. This is years ago. But also Mick Jones, he's a regular there. Yeah. And I just kind of like those grounds that are in the city and a part of the sort of the community. And um, I mean, I've been to MK Dons and it's, it's a great, you know, you, it's, I mean, it's surprisingly good. You get a great view and, you know, it's easy to park and all that sort of stuff. But Loftus Road, you know, 33 quid we paid couldn't get in the seats no, no. you know gantries in the way and pools in the way but 
it was, you know, I just love those crowds. It's riveting. Yeah. No, it's always quite nice when you find, uh, you know, people like musicians and so on, and they, they are genuine, they're not just, oh, I support Manchester United, they're yeah. real. I mean, like, when I worked with Julian Lloyd Webber, I mean, I, I didn't want to have anything to do with anybody called Lloyd Webber, but Julian's all right. Yeah. He's, unfortunately, he has a brother, but um, <laughs> when we chatted with Julian, what we talked about with football, he's late in Orient. Is he? Hardcore. He, uh, hardcore. Yeah. In fact, when we recorded a cello concert of mine, uh, we did the concert at the Barbican on the Friday, we recorded on the Monday. That weekend was his, he and his wife's wedding anniversary, he took her to the Waymatch at Barnet. Fantastic. <laughs> Good old Julian. You know. Yeah. So do you, that's quite interesting then. So there is a close connection between sport and music, I think. I think so. Yeah, I mean, there, I mean, so many of our customers. We, all, I mean, when football fanzines used to you know, first started, we sold so many of them. And when Saturday comes, yeah. sold that right from the beginning. I wonder if it's a male thing and trying to make uh, sort of order in the world I, I don't know you know well I don't know there's also the kind of uh, kind of the emotional uh, high that you get with the football and it, it's like being having some incredibly uh, powerful uh, emotional experience yeah. uh, and it, it, it it's duration like 90 minutes to two and a half it's, it's rather like a kind of concert duration yes. like two 45 yeah. minutes and a half yeah. time uh, and similarly cricket has that kind of cere cerebral thing of just yeah. Planning strategies and watching things slowly evolve—that's yeah. more like kind of Arvo Pert and me, I yes, guess. Yes, exactly. Right yes, you're so you're a test match man. Aren't yeah, you? yeah, we are not certainly not a twenty, twenty. No, 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 no. No. Not even, not even test matches. Spent yeah, five days and no yes. result. Yeah, that's what I'm exactly. loving. Yes. Yeah, I'm a member of the MCC. Well done. And so I, I, yeah, a friend of mine put me on the waiting list just years and years ago, and then eventually it came up. And uh, <laughs> I just love it. Well you, done. You can go. I go. You know, every year with you know some music sort of people, friends, music people, and we just sit there talk cricket and music all day long. Mm. It's like a pig in shit, you know, it's just that. <laughs> well, you know, it's just, it's great. Anyway, come on, we need yep. to get on with this. Um, so, Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen, then. well, that, that, there's, um, there's a group in, uh, I live part of the year in Canada, on the West Coast, and uh, my uh, wife and two children, second marriage, all are dual nationality, Canadian and uh, UK, and as well as Russian as well, but we live part of the year on Vancouver Island. Um, and I have Canadian residency. Uh, there's a group in, in Toronto called the Art of Time Ensemble. Every year they do what's called a songbook uh, project, and they get composers and uh, other musicians to arrange um, popular songs for interesting performers. And I've done about half a dozen different Leonard Cohen arrangements for a small chamber group. It's usually violin, cello, bass, piano, guitar, saxophone, and a singer. And the singers sometimes interesting people like Stephen Page, uh, from t uh, what from bare naked ladies and oh, yeah. people like that, yeah. you know, not obvious people, and so I've got to write a, a lot of Leonard Cohen songs. I've just done another one from this year, and this one I've just done is um, uh, Neil Young's um, uh, um, "Only Love Can Break Your Heart." Oh, yeah. So I did an arrangement of that for uh, a singer, uh, yeah. and I, so I, I sort of got inside Leonard Cohen's music by yeah. writing it, rewriting yeah. it. And this, I noticed this one actually had one of my favourite tracks. Uh, you can take Manhattan, you know. That's, yes, uh, first absolutely. we take Manhattan. Is that first one? we take yeah. it, then we take Berlin. Yeah. And my son and I play that in uh, in the um, in the car when we're driving along, yeah. and, and I do the sort of backing girls stuff. <laughs> you know? yes. And, uh, you know, that kind of stuff about the, the plywood violin. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> yes. Wonderful stuff. Yeah. 
Did you listen to his new album? Have you heard that? Yeah, yeah, yeah I've, I've got most of those. I mean, the, yeah. the new one is is not a lot on it because, because it ran out of material. But yeah. it's there's some great stuff, and his voice got just darker and darker yeah. as it went on. It was incredible. It was a great album. It's it, it's very prescient as well. I think wasn't it? You know, it's, yeah. You know, I guess you know when you get to eighty or he was eighty one, was he or eighty? I maybe, think maybe, maybe even a bit more. Maybe yeah. eighty two. And um, I suppose, but it was, it was a fantastic album. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that that's where the Lennon come because I actually. I, I've done things like, you know, Bernadette, uh, That's No Way to Say Goodbye. I've done yeah. versions of these uh, in rather kind of quirky ways. Yeah. So uh, the Lennon Cohen was one there. Keep you thin 
So finally, um, this one here, The Revenant, soundtrack to The Revenant. I haven't seen the film, but there's two things with this which um, actually I have connection with. One is, um, not Sakamoto, but uh, uh, Hosono, the, the guy who run the uh, MYO. Yeah. Um, his grandfather was the sole su Japanese survivor from the Titanic. No way. And he, he was the only Japanese passenger. Yeah. And, in fact, I had an email about him just a couple of days ago. And when uh, the ship was sinking, someone he was in second class. Someone he came out of the cabin. He got on his life jacket and he jumped into a lifeboat. But ever after, that, he was uh, denigrated by Japanese people because he should have died. Yeah. It was, it was ignoble for yes, him to do exactly, that. Yeah. And he had a terrible life. And, and I remember being told this because I, I did a kind of interview with um, Hosono in, uh, in uh, Tower Records in Shibuya, which is one of yes. the great record stores. It's an amazing shop, isn't it's it? It's one of the great ones. Yeah. And, so we, uh, and, and he told me about his grandfather. And he was quite proud to actually have this connection, though that Japanese society really vilified yeah. him. So it was that. And the other th aspect is that Alejandro, uh, the, the film director, yeah. <clears throat> he got in touch with me a few, <coughs> excuse me, a few years ago. He wanted to use... 
about a minute and a half of a piece of Monticello concerto uh, for a film he was making. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, Universal had the rights. It was one that came, it was one it was on the same album as the Charlie Hayden one with yeah. Point. Uh, and they were asking enormous amounts for it. And the, budget, the film's budget wasn't high. And then yeah. it became impossible. Then I thought if there's a way I could actually re-record those, just those little bits, even that became too much. So it didn't happen until we parted good friends. But ironically, that film was Birdman. So uh-huh. I would have had some of the soundtrack of Birdman, <laughs> yes. and it didn't happen. But yeah. we became friends. Yeah. And uh, we have a project. Um, uh, he, we're going to do a version of Jesus, but uh, in with the Los Angeles Philharmonic, yeah. uh, with him do, designing a kind of installation, oh, and probably sometime next year. Yeah. So we're in touch, and uh, I send him albums. and uh, so, so I get on really well with yeah. the, the film director, and, uh, and as there was this connection with the kind of Japanese as well, I thought those two things struck me yeah. straight away. I don't know the music, but I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Oh, it's really good, and you should also... I'll send you a link as well to this guy, Alvanoto, who uh, recorded this very minimal sort of German techno in electronics. Quite, right. Just quite interesting. I mean, you know, virtually nothing there some of the yeah. time. But it's quite interested that you brought up a soundtrack because I don't think you've done as many... Sa- have you done any soundtracks at all? Complete? Well, I... All, in the early... The mid-60s to early 70s, I did some music for some sort of London underground films, which was just garbage. Mm. But all my life, I never wanted to be a film music composer. I wanted to avoid it like the plague. Yeah. I didn't want. I felt it can become a distortion of your perspective on music. You either you're going for serious money, yeah, or you're working against impossible deadlines to yeah. rescue a project, and it's a completely unreasonable way to work. And I have people I know have have died. Michael Kamen died of a heart attack at 54. Great composer. Yeah. Um, and Michael Nyman is an old friend, but he's, I think his life has been distorted by film music. Uh, and he would, in his ideal world, he'd love to be able to be commissioned to write operas. But yeah. I said, well, Michael, accept the money you've got. You know, don't be <laughs> yes. grumpy. You know, yeah. but, but I always vowed never to do it. But then, yeah. ironically, when I, my second opera was on ENO, Dr. Ox's Experiment, and the stage director was Adam McGoyan, the film director. Uh, and when I was working on that, I had an invitation to work on a film project in uh, British Columbia on Vancouver Island. And Atom knew the writer the wo- whose work it was based on because he's from there. Yeah. And he said, you should look at that. So I went over. I met the director, the Russian director. Uh, I did. Uh, we got married. So, <laughs> so, the, so the, first, the first time I work on a film, I married the director. Reader, I married him. Her. <laughs> so there, I'm, I'm sort of there's more on that somewhere. But So I ended up doing that soundtrack yes. for that. And since then, I've done all her soundtracks. So yeah. she, and, but they're, they're only ever done in Russia, so yeah. they're, they're all in, in Russian cinema. But yeah. uh, they're art house things. She was at Moscow Film School, and uh, uh, it's within that kind of old Russian um, art cinema, Tarkovsky, and that whole yes. area. So yeah. I do do it, but I actually I, we, I did issue one soundtrack album on my label. Um, but we don't sell any of it, I don't think, but uh, there is one. Yes. Um, but I, I actually don't particularly like the soundtrack as a genre um, because quite often you, uh, you've either got something where they've done a, almost like a kind of a compilation um, yeah. thinking about the album when they actually make the film yeah. or the uh, there's so little music in the film you ha- there has to be extended or uh, you know do kind of versions for the soundtrack which uh, make it even last long enough for an album. So I'm a, a bit sceptical about film soundtrack albums. I have to say, I love soundtracks. Not all soundtracks, but some soundtracks I like. I think something like um, 
Betty Blue or some mm, yeah. Nina Rota stuff. Or film, oh, absolutely. You know, uh, things like Morricone. Oh, Nina Rota, yeah. yes, Morricone. I mean, I met Morricone a few times um, in, in Rome. Morricone seems to be, he is the real thing. Yeah. I mean, he's not only a, an interesting composer, all the early things, he just basically did them all himself. He played yeah. every instrument. <laughs> yeah. And even when he was very successful, he used to turn up in clubs, in improvising clubs in Rome and play solo trumpet. Yeah, you know, he, yes. he was a very open-minded guy and he was... I did some concerts, and he was—he put up some money to help this, uh, this organization do concerts. And uh, I, Morricone is someone I admire. Yeah, he's, he's a good guy. I mean, he's become massively successful and yeah. all the orchestral stuff, but he's still the same person, and yeah. I, I, that, I respect that immensely. Yeah, I saw him play. He played at Blenheim Palace yeah. last summer, and uh, he had this as a two hundred piece, where well, it's an orchestra and a choir, um, but his, his sort of core players. He had these kind of Italians, you know, keyboard player, you know with a long beard and a hat and they looked so cool and he was half of it was amazing half of it was you know, not so good but it was a, a really great show i just think that yeah max richter for instance he does lots of soundtracks and i suppose it's just getting the right balance is yeah. not being defined like you saying about michael nyman must be a bit i can see the cook the you know the wife the if he's lovely yeah, yeah. yeah. or you know draftman's contract those things yeah, exactly. Uh, but they were great. I mean, they weren't any different to the records he was putting out, though, really, were they? Not really. Uh, well, <laughs> a lot of Michael's music tends to sound remarkably the same, so it's hard for me to... <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be too disparaging, but it, yeah. it, I'm afraid you, you sort of led me into that one. Yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> we can cut it out, don't worry. No, don't worry. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll stand by my opinions. It doesn't matter. Yes, yeah. Well, um, uh, I think that's probably about... Yeah, sure. really, I think. That's fantastic. Great. Thank you very much. It's, it's really great to meet you. Thank you. Really I've enjoyed it. You. Yeah. I've enjoyed it.
Rough Trade Radio. Brian Eno, Reflection. Available in-store and online at roughtrade.com. <laughs> 